Well, hello again. Or if this is your first time stopping in, thanks for joining. My guest today is the head instructor and founder of Stout Academy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, one of the region's most touted jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai academies. He's a black belt trained under the Gracie family, and uh, he's a really interesting guy. I had a great conversation with him talking about his journey into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, his story about how he got involved is pretty incredible. Um, and we talked about some of his travels. He's a big history buff. Um, and we touched on a lot of that stuff. I could have talked to him for hours, but of course I know you guys have things to do with the rest of your afternoon. So we'll do a part two sometime in the future. Give it up for Warren Stout. But before we do, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor action. And quite honestly, if you listen to the podcast, I probably don't need to do an advertisement because come to find out Warren, my guest today was a customer. Um, and prior to even meeting me, which is crazy in itself, um, you'll have to find out why uh, and listen to his feedback on Action Coffee. But while you do, go to drinkaction.com and check it out for yourself. Get one of three blends of signature roast coffee, a light, a medium, or a dark, that's sourced directly from Guatemala, that's artisan roasted in Austin, Texas, and then shipped directly to your doorstep for you to enjoy. In addition to amazing coffee, Action is in the process of launching a new website, new partnerships with sponsored athletes, and even have some new products, which continues down the path of functional fuel, um, providing turmeric, CBD, and even some MCT products coming in the future. Really exciting stuff. So again, go to drinkaction.com, that's action with a K, use code word curious, you'll get 10% off your order as well as free shipping. And I look forward to hearing your feedback on the coffee and other products. Enjoy the show. I think I'm ready to go. <laughs> no, man. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Um, you fascinate me. You're, you're a very fascinating guy. Um, you know, the obvious, anybody that can excel through the ranks and master the art of jujitsu fascinates me. The more I learn about it, the more fascinated I get. But, you know, I've kind of dug deeper, at least as much as I can, and read into your story and your travels through South America, Central America, and even some silly things. Like I saw you went back home and you're at a cemetery and you're like kind of really thinking about the past. And, you know, not a lot of, I haven't found a lot of people in my life who think that way. I think that way. I think about all of the moments in time that have kind of led to where we're at right now. And um, I almost have to wonder if that kind of is all one and the same, you know, that your journeys and your successes through jujitsu are all kind of linked together with that insightfulness that you have. And so getting you on here, obviously, I want to talk martial arts and, and kind of the surface level jujitsu stuff, but I definitely would like to understand a little bit more what's under the, the gi, so to speak. Well, I, I love, I, I, I've always, since I was like really young, I, I like history. I, I like to, like, I think kind of what you just said, I like to see um, how things got to where they were. That's the initial, like, curiosity point. And um, uh, I think, you know, as, as much as you can experience it yourself, uh, whether it's going to, like, a place that was historical or, um, you know, like, like that cemetery that I, I, I posted a picture, that was one of my ancestors that was a, uh, 
you know, like a revol he was in a revolutionary war, like a well-known guy in, here in Pennsylvania. He was a Pennsylvania militia captain. He was uh, um, just a really interesting person. He was my ancestor, but, you know, you go back that far, I think it was five, five generations back. And, you know, they probably have, you know, 2000 ancestors. So it was more yeah. just a historical curiosity, seeing how, how people were, you know, maybe different back then, how the time shaped somebody differently. I, I think um, in the case of, of that guy that I posted about, you know, he was kind of, um, uh, some people have said he was the, uh, the inspiration for um, that movie that they made, The Patriot, and obviously oh, not, not very uh, uh, accurate in the movie, but, but he, he was a, a fascinating person in that he lived to be, according to the dates, that they, the historical dates, he was 113 when he died. Uh, and he could, he could, uh, he was in the war, uh, uh, revolutionary war. He was with, um, George Washington at Valley Forge. Uh, and he would, uh, Larry fought in war 1812, but he was, he was, when he was really old, he went to, he walked to like, you know, I think he walked most of the way to New York. Uh, he would walk like 20 miles every day. He was a gunsmith, friends with General Lafayette. So he went to one of the other, uh, French generals funerals that he fought with in the revolution. Uh, when he was like 76, he went to England and you know so just just different times make I, I think make people differently and that's it's a really cool like that spirit of that pioneers uh, um, spirit is hard to hard for like me or like us to connect with but I think it's it's just a, such a different perspective that this guy's you know lived and that's that's what I liked about about that one particularly yeah it's uh, I always ask myself probably sub subconsciously I think people from the past would be really shocked at the technological advances that we have. And, you know, just, and I, fuck man, 15 years ago, if you would have told me about an iPhone, I would have been like, no way. So God, somebody from the 1600s would be mind blown. But I think that there'd be just as much confusion from them on some of the stuff that we find challenging or not necessarily the technology, but that for us, like, we have to like get in a car to drive down the road. To your point, this guy like walked to New York for a funeral and we have some of these things that we consider issues in our lives today that I think people from the past would be just like so confused that we tie ourselves into. No, I, I, that, that's an interesting thing too. How much, you know, free time that people had and how much that they, um, yeah, how, how much uh, we get, we get stuck into things. You know, you read some of the, the, uh, letters and, and things that people from that time wrote and and a lot of them i'm sure it's not everybody probably comes down to us the ones but they they're very well um uh they're they're i think they're really well you know read and and there's some group think like there is now but it's it was a little i think that one of my good friends said the, the guy i actually went to brazil with he he's always said sometimes isolate a little bit of isolation will engender like creativity you know and I, I and thinking on your own and I think that sometimes you read some of the things that people wrote at that time and other times you know wow they they were they were really thinking uh you know they weren't as much connected so they had to kind of think on their own you know and yeah, interpret things on their own I always found it really interesting how beautiful it was written I mean you'll have somebody writing about standing on the front lines shooting a flintlock watching their friends die around them and it's written so eloquently you know, it's, it's very like pretty and they're the description, but I, yeah, man, your point, I think separation, I had a podcast with a guy named Evan Britton. He's a former NFL lineman who's gotten really big into mindfulness and spirituality post career. 
And he's told me something on my show that I just can't get out of my head. And it's that we need to create distance between ourselves and the world if we truly want to be able to understand ourselves and make an impact in the way that we want to. And I think today's technology is like the absolute opposite of that. It sucks us in and it doesn't give us our distance. We've become one in the same with everything around us. And I, to come back to what your point was, I think we don't have that time to truly sit down and look at every individual scenario with an open mind and not link it together to tie, you know, oh, I have to agree with this because my other four opinions kind of lean that direction. And I, God forbid, I like steer away from that because it's all, it's all together. That's all a team. It's, it's not separate individual ideas. So that's what he meant by it. He meant you need to take that space and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of outside, outside observer, like, like kind of an outside observer, uh, looking at yourself. Is that kind of what he meant? Sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and just distancing yourself, you know, like I think he went through a rough time with just who he was um, coming out of the league. And his point, I think too, was people look to social media for comfort Yeah, and it's, it's the wrong thing. Like you've got to separate yourself from that and whether it's through meditation or exercise, jujitsu to take yourself away from that outside world and to allow yourself to kind of understand who you are. Who, who you are and what makes you tick. No, that's, that's a really, it's, and I, I think looking at the past, you can see, maybe not see or, or exactly, but you get a glimpse of, of that a little bit different than we're kind of immersed in now, you know, like, yeah. like, um, like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. They could, you can see through the writings, through the actions that they did. They weren't, they weren't all enmeshed in like that. I mean, there's probably some of that as well, but like yeah. group think obviously, but like, I think that, they were able to think on their own. And, and I think that's where some really good things came of at that time, you know, some of the, because they're like, well, I don't need to think like everybody in, you know, everybody in Europe thinks or the South or whatever it is, you know, they think different. You know? so I don't think you had the ability to, right? Because you didn't know what the guy in the next town over was thinking, let yeah. alone the other countries or tribes. I mean, and I think that's even evident today. You look at some like Aboriginal cultures or places where, I heard in, in Australia, the Aborigines, you can go 10 miles and the next tribe will have a whole different language that's yeah. undis- indistinguishable from the other tribe. And that had to have been similar. Even if people spoke the same language as just the barrier of information being able to trade, it forced people to have to come to their own conclusions. Yeah. And I, I really, an interesting one is that, that book that's, that's been really popular, kind of like a, you know, Silicon Valley, that Sapiens book. They talk about yeah. that, how how probably, uh, you know, a long time ago when there was complete, like what you're saying, the tribe, like a complete separation. There's so many different languages being spoken and, and, and people, the, the customs were just like wildly different, you know, it's in a small geographical area. And that, you know, that was probably more diverse. That was his point, you know, who knows if it's true, but it's like, it might've been more diverse back then, you know, even like we're talking like 10,000 years ago or something like Hard that. Hard for people know? to get their head around that. But yeah. if you really think about it, it's true. You're, you're from rural Pennsylvania, right? Like I grew up in that, Bradford, PA. So. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's, so, I, yeah, I know exactly where that is. You're like, yeah. Brook, you're Brookville, Clearfield area? Yeah, all over. We kind of bounced around all over those towns. I, I went to high school in Brookville. Uh, okay. That's right. Yeah, so we're we're from the same, and and it's a really different culture there than than even like where I'm at now. I'm in Pittsburgh now, so that's and 
And uh, you're where? Where are you calling from? You're in Austin right now. I'm in I'm in Pittsburgh as well. I'm right up in Cranberry. So oh, cool. that's that was the other reason. Yeah, I mean, so I'm a PA guy. Grew up in in Bradford. I spent a year down here in Pittsburgh in high school. My junior year, I I was in the South Hills. I went and stayed with an aunt and uncle for a year, um, and then I moved all over after that. I lived in the Midwest. I lived on the East Coast. I kind of traveled and then settled in Pittsburgh just because it still kind of gave me the the feelings of childhood, a little seclusion. And Cranberry, I mean, this is a great area. I've got 20 minutes to get downtown, but I'm kind of, I can go out back and shoot my bow, which is like perfect, yeah. you know? Also, so you're, a, yeah, are you a, do you shoot a, a compound or do you traditional? Uh, compound, yeah. Not, nice. not a traditional guy. I'm still learning. Uh, I'm like a year into it of serious shooting, trying to shoot as much as I can every week. We, we should we should go shoot sometime. I have I, I shoot traditional mostly. I have a couple okay. really cool bows. You probably like to just just play around with them. I, yeah. I have, a, uh, I have a, a traditional longbow that was made by Native American, and I have a uh, they say he's the most. He's got it made the, all the equipment for the Revenant. Uh, I don't think he's working anymore, but he made me a plains bow with like semi backing and stuff. That thing's fun to shoot. And then I have a uh, a Mongolian uh, bow. I I. I so I've been over there quite a bit in, in Mongolia, and I, I like it's a different shooting. It has those uh, when you pull it back, it has a uh, stopper, you know, the the rec- the really strong recurve, and it kind of it's almost it, it kicks almost like really like a gun. Yeah. What's the what's the draw weight on something like that? So the Mongolian one that I have is is it's not a super heavy draw weight. It's uh, I think it's sixty sixty two or something when they measured it, but uh, it's um they supposedly and I find it's even hard to believe but i guess if you practice like anything if you do it all your life they, they say some of the bows were 250 pounds i heard yeah unbelievable like it I've doesn't comprehend and and i think i think it's a, a, a not the same as what it what probably was back then when they did it all the time but but to be able to pull that's just especially seated like they, maybe they stood but they seated on a horse you know like that's unbelievable to be able to <laughs> take that draw so i don't <laughs> i don't know if that was true one thing when i was over there i saw this is like something that made me think that that may be true. I found a lot of arrow points. We were doing uh, like archaeological ex- exploration there, and, and we were with the, the archaeologists from there. And they, uh, the arrow points were so heavy that the, some of the ones that we found that it would have had to have been put a lot more force and power on the on the arrow to to shoot because they they were big heavy points. You know, some of them, not all of them, but. Uh, so that then I, I thought, well, maybe they did have a really heavy draw, you know. Yeah. Did do the arrowheads are they similar to what you would find here in North America, as far as like the type of stone and shape, or is it a completely different? No, these were these were a little bit later, like metal points, like first, oh, okay. you know, early early Mongolian, uh, you know, the different different tribes that were there. We found ones that were anywhere from two thousand years old up that were bronze, actually bronze points, and they were smaller up to the modern, like the Mongol army's points, which were metal and they were heavy, heavy. Uh, so, you know, that in, in all different shapes, they had weird shapes. They had ones that were like a half moon shape pointed out. Uh, they had ones that whistled in the air. They had ones that uh, big, heavy, really broad, skinny, long, skinny, but heavy. All, they had, they must have used different ones for different, you know, different tasks. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, I just seeing those, I knew, I was like, well, maybe that's true. Maybe the, the, the story is about the 250 pound, because I don't think there's anybody, I mean, maybe somebody, I don't think there's anybody that, alive today that can shoot a, a 250 pound bow off a horse, you know, like that, that's, 
<laughs> if, it, if it could be done, Cam Haynes would have posted a video about it already. Yeah, yeah. he probably would have would have tried it. But uh, um, yeah, so that's that's one of the. I actually got to I got to wrestle over there a little bit too. I entered a couple oh, of wow. tournaments when I was over there. It's, it's a, that was just a, an experience. I think they the one that I entered. I think they thought it was a joke. Like you know, there's like oh this you know American you know guy entered tourist or whatever entered in the tournament, and then I started <laughs> winning matches because I wrestled. It was when I was in college wrestling. Uh, so I, uh, it was a summer and, uh, I started winning a, a matches. It's all professional there. They give you cheese to hand out to like the fans and they, they give you like Throwing flowers on you and stuff. Yeah, it was cool. And then, and, uh, so I, I, you know, I won some matches and that was, uh, they, I think they were shocked with the fans at first. They thought it was a joke and then they were like cheering and stuff. <laughs> That's really cool. Was that through like a, a travel abroad at college? Yeah. No, that was just on your own. that was just something I found and 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 you know kind of organized and went over. We were um, it was it was back when this was like I think two thousand one was the first time I went over there, okay. and uh, they they were it, it was they had you know team up with some of the archaeologists and help out there with some of the digs and kind of wander around. I did that for you know two months one summer. And, uh, That'd be really cool. It was neat, yeah. It was, and then I got to you know wrestle with them. So that's good. Practice with their national team a little bit and wrestle around a little bit. So. It's um, I was involved in it's it's funny because we were talking about like getting involved in history and I for as long as I can remember I've always been curious about the past and where I've come from and just like where's that building? What was here before it was a furniture store? And I think where I grew up in Bradford there was a lot of that because the town was really booming in the 1800s and when I was growing up it was probably more like on the downside of of what that was it definitely was it was on the downside and yeah. um so there was a lot of history that I could explore but in sixth grade we did a project and uh I laugh now because they picked like 15 kids and I didn't go to class the rest of the year this was like a third of the way through my sixth grade year we sat in the teacher's conference room in the lounge and we researched the civil war and oh, that's amazing. That sounds like yeah. your school was, was really cool. I know. Well, it's, I, dude, you know, like for years after that, even into high school, we always, like the couple of us that were involved joked and were like, our school district is a joke. They didn't make us do anything. Like we basically didn't go to school for sixth grade. But as I've gotten older, that's quite honestly the year that I feel like I benefited the most out of my schooling. And it was probably just perspective. What I thought school was then that wasn't as important, but we did everything from, we research, we went to the local cemetery where they had actually exhumed bodies and moved them to this new cemetery. And a lot of the gravestones and head, like the headstones were deteriorating. So we went and took like transfer paper and charcoal and we scanned all the fronts. And then we went and researched every one of those people. And we put together like a, a fairly cheaply published book i think i still have a copy if i do i'll find one and i'll get you a copy oh that was, would be cool it was did really you, did neat. you like you put together their lives like you kind of researched yeah. the individuals and found that's that's yep the, yeah uh, i mean we did everything from genealogical sites we went to the landmark society and just researched as many of them as we could to understand their backgrounds and then you know through the time we were just doing other ancillary little projects um we had like civil war hats made because at the end of all of this there was a reenactment that we did at the middle school football field. And 
I got to be involved in the reenactment because I was part of this civil war project. And so like I dressed up, I had like suspenders on, I like looked like this little, I think I was a, I think I was a union soldier, but like had a, like a tent pitched out on the football field and they're out there shooting. And I mean, I, I can't think of a time where I got so much enrichment on history and it drove me in the direction of, wow, you can dig into things and something that might seem cool has an even cooler backstory if you just go and look, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, another one of my answers, this is how, how close really that is to us. I think we don't realize that, but uh, my great-grandfather when I was young was still alive and uh, he would talk to me about his grandfather because uh, I was interested in that when I was a kid, history and stuff. And uh, his grandfather was uh, fought in the Civil War and he had gotten in wounded with a sword it's not like not not very long ago secondhand you know i'm still but he got his shoulder cut with a sword and and it, it severed the nerves and they couldn't repair it and he couldn't use his arm so he'd tell me he'd hold a whistle with to, to carve he'd carve them things out of wood like whistles and like little little things but he would hold it between his knees because his one arm didn't work in little oh, wow and, and that was that was that's how close it is you know somebody knew some i knew somebody that knew somebody that was in the civil war so that's that's it's not that far away um I, I was, uh, one of the reasons that I, I, well, when I first tried you guys' coffee, I was before I, you know, even knew you. I know, it was so weird. Coffee. You're like, oh, I've already bought it. I've already tried oh, it. Man. I've been I saw it you, I saw you tagged in one of Donner's posts and I'm just like, oh, check this out. And it was like so crazy. I'm like, wait a second. He doesn't yeah. know who, and then you didn't even realize I was from Pittsburgh too until just a little no. bit. <laughs> I just, I just love the coffee and that's kind of like a historical, uh, I went, I went to Guatemala where you, uh, near where you guys, I think sourced some of the, some of the beans. It was one of the best coffees I had then. And I think when I was reading about it, that's what I was like, Oh, you guys, you guys sourced it there. That was one of the best cups of coffee I ever had when I was there. I was in, you know, like, um, we went to Atitlan and like all the history there, you know, the crazy native, the, the, the native Americans fighting like Pedro de Alvarado mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, uh, I was exploring around there, kind of you know visiting the different communities around Lake Etiquan and drinking coffee, and then I found you guys were sourcing from the, the highlands of Guatemala, and I was like, wow, that's got, I got to try it because it was great coffee then, and uh, and they, they uh, so I tried it, and I've been ordering it ever since. I get a couple every month. No, right <laughs> on, my, dude. My favorite is the uh, I I'm partial to light roast. I'm, I I like okay. like a lighter roast. So I, I do the medium and the light roast. Uh, I get okay. a bag on. You know, on uh, actually, I drank. I, I was a little tired this morning. I drank three cups already this morning. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, man. No, I'm glad you enjoy it. We're, you know, it. Our co-found, my co-founder. I guess he's at, he was the founder of Action Coffee. We've we're in the process of rebranding right now to encompass a couple of other products. But he he fell in love with it, the process, and really became like a coffee nut. Uh, yeah. Went down to Guatemala, found the farm build a relationship, uh, and then really wanted to make sure that when he brought it back to the States that he roasted it in the in a way that would kind of keep it consistent with their process. So small batch roasting it in Austin was kind of the way that he went about it. And our goal is to just continue to try to build on that, keep the history, because especially with coffee, I mean, it's there's so much competition out there, and I'm glad that it tastes great. <laughs> But at the end of the day, we, I think for us, it's, I'm glad to know that the story resonated because it's important to, to us as well. So. Well, and you can see it actually in the coffee that you guys, I'm a little bit of a 
coffee. I've, I've visited farms and seen them drive too. I'm a con like a connoisseur. I love coffee, but uh, um, I, I could see how when the beans came, I could see that they were roasted with that process, right? Like they weren't. You, you get well. My uh, my wife's from Costa Rica, uh, so in her oh, wow. one of her her uh, somebody in her family sells to Starbucks, one of the farms itself, and. Honestly, I don't like that coffee because I don't know if it, it's the way they, they process it, roast it. And I can see the difference in your beans. They, they look like the traditional uh, drying and roasting processes that I've seen there in Costa Rica, some of the uh, small family farms. So that's, I, that, I looked at that right away and I could see in the beans and you know, smell it. But you could just see how the bean selection, the, they're not oily when you get them. They don't have extra sugar roasted into them. They're just, it's just like pure coffee beans. And I, I, I really, I dig it. It's one of my favorites. We have good coffee here in Pittsburgh too, but uh, I always, that one's the one I, I go, that's my morning go-to. You know, I get to some of the other ones in Pittsburgh when I'm out and about, but that's, that's my go-to now. So. Excellent, man. We'll make sure that you're always stocked up. Appreciate your support. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, so that was, you know, it's some of the, one of the histories that I really think is cool is how much uh, the history of Brazil is kind of like bound up in the, in the Gracie family. And you could write, you know, like a, a like the, the, the novels, those multi-generation, like hundred years of solitude or something about the Gracie family. And it would be crazier than those fiction about how, and how they're tied in with the history of some of the things. And uh, for example, um, uh, I, I think a lot of people don't know this, but uh, uh, Asai was brought to, was popularized by Carlos, the original guy, the guy that one of the two brothers that started really? he was a nutritionist. Yeah. So that's, and he thought it was one of these nutrition things that he, and then he was, you know, they were well known back then and he started popularizing it in Rio. And then, then you know, there's Asai everywhere now. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I was down there, when we first went down, uh, I went to the loft and that's, that was the hangout. That was like the back in, you know, early 2000s, late, late nineties. Uh, the, the, that's where all the, the, jiu-jitsu people went and you can just get out there any given day and see a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys hanging out like now the old school famous guys but uh i, I tasted it and i was like this stuff's amazing you know like and, <laughs> and that was that was like the year after sambazon had done the same thing they had gone down there and tasted it while they were like oh this is amazing and then they started a company and i we were i was glad that they came to the u.s and yeah. so now we can get it everywhere you know yeah so. how did you so i know you wrestled in your whole life growing up, you wrestled collegiately yeah. at Lehigh, correct? Yep. Yeah, it's Lehigh University. Amazing university for, for wrestling. Yeah, um, a lot of history. A lot of history there, too. Yeah, yeah. wrestling history. You know, they about like 110 years of wrestling. There. Yeah, that's what I thought. How did your – so going from collegiate wrestling, how do you then link up with, like, the most prolific family in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? So it was by really by luck. And uh, – yeah. Hollis Gracie at the time put a post out on, uh, it was the ad combat, the ADCC forum that he wanted wrestlers to come down and, and help him. So my friend, uh, still, still my best friend. We've, uh, you know, still see each other. He's in California. He's one of the top finance guys in the world, actually, as well, you know, like uh, right oh, wow. now for, he was the manager of one of the top, I think it was the top, hit, uh, bond fund. He was the lead manager for like the last three years in the world, best performing one, but he, he kind of went into that world and, but him and I went, he saw this post that Hollis had made on the, on the forum and he had done a little bit of training with Caesar Gracie uh, out in California in the nineties and in Hawaii's in high school. So he wrote him and he said, Hey, we should check this out. We should go to Brazil. So uh, we wrote to Hollis and he picked us because I think because of the connection with Caesar, that's what he said. So Caesar's mom got us visas from to Brazil. She was like working for the consulate or something. And, uh, 
we two days one day after he graduated two days after i graduated we were uh we were flying down to brazil and hoping hollis would pick us up in cuyaba he lived in cuyaba this other city at the time and uh we we just we just showed up there and hollis uh, started teaching us jiu-jitsu and we started wrestling with him and uh uh, I think it was, I still, I'm so thankful that I, I got with a good teacher to begin with, like Hollis. I mean, we're still friends. He comes to Pittsburgh a lot and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, he's actually become, he, he has a great wrestling coach out in New York now, an Iranian guy, a guy from Iran. And he's he's probably considered the best wrestler in the Gracie family, of, you know, straight wrestling right now. He's competed at some international wrestling tournaments and done pretty well. So uh, I'm, I'm proud that he you know, I was his first wrestling influence. Like he was my first jujitsu. That's how. So I got a great start. Well, that's awesome. In jiu-jitsu. Were you familiar with jujitsu prior to that trip at all, or were you just like, "Hey, I'm I'm going to go down there and wrestle these guys," and had no thought of this turning into like a new journey? I, I really had no thought. It was just one of those things where you know I wanted. We both thought we had. Uh, you know, he had a job lined up on the New York Stock Exchange, and I was going to go work there all as well. And, and you know, we were just kind of out of school. We're like, hey, let's take, let's try this. It sounds really cool. We were interested. We were both interested in it. I'd, I'd never done jujitsu before that, um, but uh, I, I just was like, wow, it just seems like an adventure. You know, like a, I, I read, a, uh, I, I made a journal while I was while I was there, and I, I, I went back, and that's how I started kind of traveling in Central America. I went back to my journal a couple years later and read, and I was like, wow, that was a great adventure. Just you know, beyond like, you know, picking up a you know, jujitsu passion I love still, it's, it was a, it was just a good adventure. So I, I was like, oh, I need to do that again, you know, while I can. So I, yeah. that's, that, that was kind of reading my, you know, just kind of leafing through my old journal was the impetus for, um, you know, when I left New York and went to Costa Rica. So that started jujitsu there and stuff like that. So that was, uh, uh, that's what motivated me. That's, was it difficult being too, white guys from America down in Brazil or was that were you embraced kind of we were really embraced because, because we were with because uh, we were with Hollis I mean it was it was such a we lived with him and went everywhere with him and okay. his family too like Gregor Gracie who's now a great I think he has a match coming up soon yeah. uh, he was he was living with us also he was I think only 15 at the time but uh so I'm still good friends with him but uh but yeah we were really embraced it was a wild time it was when Brazil won the World Cup so we, we ended up driving to Rio, uh, where Hollis's mom uh, lived, and uh, and we we the, just the drive was cra- a crazy adventure. We we ran into uh, some there was a, a pro like a massive protest. Native Americans had blocked the road off like, in the interior going in, so we got stuck on the roadside for like a day and a half with this block and this protest, and uh, just this line of cars going for miles. And we started kind of like partying with the other cars. <laughs> because <laughs> we were there for so long so that was that was our trip to rio and then and then when we got to rio it was the world cup was going on so ended up oh, winning wow. and uh hollis's mom would drop us off at all the world cup parties and just like take it we just rage for the whole night you know going on until uh, till the morning you know and then get back and train a little bit and <laughs> stuff like that awesome. it was just one of those things that you could never uh i have a good podcast doc daniel gracie talks about this a little bit too how you know, it's different in Brazil now and, and, you know, some good ways, but also some, it's, it's not the same like Baja, uh, where Gracie Baja came and where they kind of, you know, Henzo and, and uh, Carlinhos and, uh, and Daniel uh, started Gracie Baja. Baja is a cool town now. It's fun. I visited, but it's not the same as what it was. It was a little beach town, like dirt roads back then, you know, it was the, yeah. it was the next hip spot. So that's why they moved there. 
Uh, and I, I, one of our podcasts, Daniel talks about that a lot, about the history of that. So check that out. Yeah, if you guys, it's a short one. It's, uh, we did, I did it from, um, we were in uh, Costa Rica for the camp, and he was talking about how good that, that beach town in Costa Rica reminded him of Baja in the early days. So <laughs> that was, that, so that, uh, our camp, I just got out of, of Costa Rica for our training camp that I do down there every year. Uh, right when COVID, you know, was starting to hit and, uh, I got, I, my family got stuck down there for four months and I got out just in time, you know, I, I got back here just in time, which is good, but wow. it's kind of weird not seeing my family for, for that long. But, uh, uh, we're doing the next camp and uh, if anybody's interested, um, we're planning hopefully depending on everything that's going on, but, uh, we're going to do two weeks of camps in Costa Rica in January. So check it's uh Pura Vida Jiu Jitsu camps. Check that out if you get a chance. So it's a blast. I do it small group uh camp. We'll have Daniel Gracie, Sean Williams, uh me, um some other co- local Costa Ricans sometimes show up. Um and and Gary Tonin was there. I might see oh, if wow. he can come. If he's fighting. Uh he was he did one year there. Uh a good really good friend of mine. But you know it's kind of it's tough with him now because uh he's with one FC and they uh is he over in Singapore a lot or is he it's just you know they don't know exactly when he's going to fight so um if he gets called for an event or something you know it's tough because he has he's contractually obligated and then you know we have to if he can't get out of south central america yeah Yeah. it's just it's one of those things where i i have trouble scheduling him since he signed with one fc but uh but we had you know we had daniel grace he's been there every time sean williams has been there for uh, i think four out of the five camps i think that we've done and uh not to interrupt you, did Sean used to train with GSP? Yes, he did. He was okay, one of his. That's where coaches. I know that name from. He was he was a wrestling coach or a grappling coach. For him, he right? was he was a jiu-jitsu coach. Sean Sean's um uh, uh, he's really he's been called like the teacher's teacher. He was my main teacher for jiu-jitsu, Actually, okay. he was he was one of the teachers at Henzo New York, and then he went out to LA and kind of started his own thing. He's a commentator for for Flow. He's the main uh, like the head the head commentator now. But um, Sean's just a he's just such a knowledgeable teacher. He's he was, he came up with John Danaher and John was one of my teachers too in New York early when they, when Sean and him were, brown, I met them when they were brown belts. And, uh, and you know, they, they, those two guys are, you know, kind of took different paths and stuff like that and, and have a different teaching style, but really in my opinion, like the best, the best teachers out there, you know, as far mm-hmm. as breadth of knowledge, creativity, uh, you know, and, and John particularly like investing in his students and, and stuff and, you know, like Sean's done a lot of different things. Uh, he has a clothing company called Carbine now. It's really cool. Like if you guys are interested in here, uh, he um, he has some instructionals out, and he's going to keep doing that. Which take advantage of that because his they're like if you've seen John's instructionals, best selling instructionals of all time. Uh, Sean's you'll you'll like Sean's if you like John's. So he's he's coming out with more and more now. So I'll definitely check those out. Now, when you go down to this camp in Central America, is this something that you take all belt levels or do you kind of have like a, a certain threshold in which you want to make sure people are, you know, at a skill level to make the trip down there? Or how's that work? No. Uh, but that said, I mean, we take anybody, but that said, uh, I think that we've had the, the lowest experience was like a nine month, 10 month white belt. And that was most of the people are like blue, purple, brown, black, you know, that participate in the camp. But uh, it, it's really for anybody. Um, but that's, what's cool about it. It's a small group. So you can kind of tailor it to, the instructors, you know, usually right at the beginning, we go around and ask what people want to work on and what their what their goals are for the camp and things like that. Because that's the difference. I mean, I, I love also there's there's big camps that are really cool, like Gracie Adventure Camp. That's a great experience. I, I had I went last year to Miami and that was 
that was really cool. I got to roll with uh, Hodger Gracie some and uh, just full on live rolling with him, learn from him. Some of the, you know, Hollis was there, some of my friends were there. But uh, um, it's a little bit different experience because it's a big group, you know, and, and there's good and bad to that, right? You get to meet a lot, a lot of different people. But our camp is, is like a private lesson, basically, you know, because there's, you know, four instructors and 16 people on the map. That's what I limit it to. So, uh, and then we go around and do things together, like hikes. It gets too cumbersome with a big group to do that kind of stuff, you know. To, yeah. And we do we do like real local stuff. That you wouldn't uh, get because I lived down there for a long time, so uh, I kind of you know know the know the area better than even some of the honestly better than some of the locals, just because uh, my family's been going there for seventy years, and the, you know I've been there for seventeen now or something like that, going back and forth. How so, um how long are you down there for for these camps? Uh, I usually stay for a month, but we're having two weeks of camp this, this time. Okay. So, you know, and I, I try to go back twice a year there uh, just because, you know, family, it's like a place that's really, really, um, I guess just dear to my heart as far as like a, a culture and stuff. So, mm -hmm. no, it's, uh, it sounds really interesting. You've actually got me kind of turning some gears in my head and uh, <laughs> wanting to be more consistent and get myself back on the mats. It's been it was a couple of years since I had, had rolled. And then I actually came back. I did some classes in Cranberry and I've just, I've dealt with an issue in between C4 and C3. And That's what you keep, said, yeah. I can't keep my neck healthy. And, um, you know, I, I don't blame jujitsu. It's, it's, I got to devote more time just to being healthy because it shouldn't be something that keeps me from putting the time. And it's just one of those things that with all my other priorities, I haven't put, haven't, force myself to get through that but i think uh some changes recently for me doing this more full time and getting out of corporate america i mean i was spending 50 or 60 hours a week doing a day job trying to then also you know help run a coffee and supplement company and then launching a podcast and so <laughs> this whole upheaval in life has put a lot of things in perspective for me so jujitsu is at the top of the list to kind of get back and you've really aside from just the physical aspects and you know the knowledge of being able to defend yourself the culture that comes along with that and even something like a trip to south america or central america there's so much incremental value just in that that makes me want to get back engaged in that so i'm sure yeah i i think that's a great way to think about it it's it's, it's the it's a light like the, it's kind of cliche but it's like it's a lifestyle too you know as far as like traveling meeting people from other places um you know that to me that's the idea of like jujitsu lifestyle so i i think if, if you can get back into it have you tried uh have you tried that iron neck i was thinking of, uh man you know i literally talked about this this morning. i was in my bathroom doing the motions because i saw that video pop up on my facebook feed the other day i think it was maybe rogan like in the back room with the the creator i need yeah. to do something because I don't know if it's just from, you know, a lot of people listening to this might have the same thing, like sitting at a desk for 10 years and head down, I think just put issues. I went and saw um, Dr. Joe, you know, Dr. Joe, um, he's a Pittsburgh based guy. He's Korean. His dad invented this really interesting neck surgery where um, instead of replacing the disc, he would go in and like trim around the disc, wherever it's bulging out, um, talk to them and, just you know they're like you're at a point where we could fuse your spine but you're young and you don't want to do that yet just he basically told me to grow a set and be a man um <laughs> but i it's you know i don't do i don't i don't treat my neck the right it's you know i should treat it better 
it sounds stupid to say that, but I don't treat treat it the way that I probably should. Yeah, well, I I, I think another guy you might want to uh, look into is uh, Isaac Greeley. He's a black belt. The trades with us. He was, I was training with him yesterday. He's a chiro. He has seven uh, rehab chiropractic, and he knows a lot about jujitsu. I'll, I'll hook you up with that later. But he um he's he's a great guy that you maybe maybe could go see about you know about that about. Uh, just to, just to get another perspective. That's because, you know, we all deal with injuries and, and, you know, jujitsu and stuff like that. I, I, um, I, I think that well, one of the things you guys sent me, uh, some of the turmeric, uh, the supplements, yeah. the turmeric and the, uh, and, and that's a big for me. I, uh, uh CBD and turmeric, that's the combination that you guys have in, yep. in those things. That's perfect. Like I don't take Advil at all and I get injured, you know, I have injuries and things like that. And I've gone strictly to like turmeric. And I, when, when I got that, I was like, perfect. That's a perfect nighttime one. Cause you know, you take the, the CBD and the turmeric, both are anti-inflammatory. Um, my brother's uh, doing some research on, on C, uh, he's a, he's a, a neuroscientist out of um, uh, NIT. He runs a lab out there and he, um, he's doing some research on CBD. He did a, a study for athletes, he, you know, surveyed all these athletes, you know, some famous UFC guys, some like us, we, we contributed to it, uh, our, our team, but um, it, mostly based on anti-inflammatory responses to head injuries is what he's, he's researching. And he's, they, there's some good indication uh, for CBD for that. So talk so. like concussion based. Type yeah. As well. oh, yeah. Wow. So I, I always carry it in, in the gym here in case, you know, we, we try to avoid that in training. Like we have, we have some great MMA fighters like um, uh, Jesse Delgado, two-time national champs. Just he's been training for with us as soon as it, you know we got him approved. He's gonna fight in regional shows on Fight Pass, CFFC. Uh, and then our 125 pound look out for this. If you guys are fans of, of MMA, we have uh, AJ Wilkins, Jesse Delgado, and then an older guy, but a really skilled. He has it's on a three-finish streak, uh, um, uh, and uh, they these these guys all train together. Um, and you know, Jonas is, he's older. He's the, he's the one that's older from, from the Philippines. Just a really dangerous guy. He's probably, you know, he'll probably fight in CFFC too, but on the older side of his crew, but the other two, Jesse and, uh, and, 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 uh, um, AJ look for them. They're going to, we, we have Bob Meese, who's Cody Garbrandt. Cody comes mm-hmm. and works with us uh, sometimes. And, uh, um, but Bob works with them at least once a week, usually twice a week with those, that group in particular, because he believes the same as me. He thinks they're going to make a run into the title one or both those guys and they're all training together so it's really nice to have that lightweight group aj's got an older brother right that mike fought. wilkins mike. yeah right. yeah okay. he was a really good fighter um yeah. he uh he he's now just mostly competing in grappling he he okay. had uh he had a good pro career and he fought he fought in bellator cffc um and uh but he you know I, he doesn't talk about this a lot but he had he had some head injuries also uh mostly the one of them wasn't had didn't have anything to do with jiu-jitsu or fighting but uh he he had some in training one of them actually was in grappling it's a real weird scenario that happened but uh um i think that was one of the reasons why he stopped fighting but yeah he's one of the best pittsburgh uh, local colorful guys but he's still competing in grappling program like we have our show at the ace hotel that mm-hmm. we do in conjunction with ace so we had to cancel this year but uh mike was the main event at that and that was that was fun. It's like this old school gym where you pack, we pack everybody, you know, almost right up to the mat edge, mm-hmm. and shine a light down on the mat, you know, like the like and and, uh, and then we have pro grappling matches there. And Ace Hotels, like they like us to do it. It's part of their you know physical culture program or whatever. So they, uh, um, 
it, it's just a blast. The event is, it, it gives that feel of like the, if you ever see those old pictures of boxing matches where everybody's just packed in like right around the yeah. edge and screaming and stuff. And, and that's what we, we did that with jujitsu. So do you enjoy putting, promoting fights and, and doing all that? Or, I mean, what kind of pain in the ass is that? There, it is a pain in the ass. Like, to, but, and, and you can't uh, like overestimate how much of a pain in the ass it's going to be. It's particularly, and, and I'll say this, like, not that, you know, I love MMA as a sport. I fought a little bit and I think it's great. And, and I, I'm a big fan. I, we train MMA fighters, but promoting MMA is the worst. If we do a Muay Thai show and we do a, a, that pro grappling show every year. And uh, the pro grappling for me is the most fun and just everybody's real agreeable and it's more of a fun environment. And then the Muay Thai is fun. It's an amateur, all amateur show. But then the, the MMA event is a little trickier to put together. Some of the egos and personalities and things, and, yeah. you know, just putting fights together is a little bit more difficult. So I fought, I, I had one amateur fight in 2011. I fought oh, nice. um, the OFC. You're familiar with the uh, OFC out of Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And, um, it was an. It was just like, it would put such a bad taste in my mouth, for small like smaller just some of the things that occurred. Well, so you fought in 2011. What was your main background when you got into the fight? Were you MMA or were you strike striking, grappling? What was your kind of main? <laughs> yeah, man. So you're gonna shake your head at this. So I fought out of uh, a place called the Knockout Factory. It was um, Seneca Nation of Indians in um, Salamanca, New York. So right over yeah. the New York state line. And uh, I played collegiate baseball at Pitt Bradford. And um, then I got into powerlifting. And I, I graduated high school. I was like 150 pounds. I was small. Um, and by the time I got done with baseball, I was like 220. I had put on a lot of weight, got really heavy into lifting. And um, while I was lifting, I started to go over to this gym as a way to just get extra body weight workout in and cardio and I started doing some boxing and then it led into hey we need a sparring partner for this guy who's got a fight coming up and so I started like giving him rounds and then they sucked me in slowly and slowly and after like four months of training there they were like hey there's a show coming up in Ohio if you want to try this and I was really just like a dirty boxer they were like grab a hold of him try to take him down and just throw elbows do whatever you can just be a bruiser and uh, I just, there wasn't a whole lot of like, hey, here's jujitsu class or learn the fundamentals. I had a good coach. Um, he understood striking really well, but I just didn't have the experience. And uh, yeah. they had me go over and actually a week and a half before the fight, uh, my, my opponent failed his hepatitis test. Yeah. And they're like, that's, that's rampant in amateur MMA. Like they'll pull yeah. out. It's so, it's so yep. frustrating. Right? On, and that was, it was 185. And I had cut down, I think I started my cut at like 215. And yeah. I like shed all this weight. And I was selling alarm systems door to door in the summertime. And I had to leave. I was getting ready to leave. And I'm like, I've trained so hard. I want to fight. Like this sucks. And I asked him, I'm like, is there anything you can do? And um, the commission came back or I, it was the promotion came back with a guy They're like, he was a 205er. He's off of two losses straight. They're making him drop weight. He's going to fight 185. Do you want to take it? I'm like, give it to me. <laughs> well, I didn't know this. The kid was a wrestler from Ohio, University of Ohio. Um, oh, wow. Miami, so Ohio. he's good. Good yeah. wrestler. Yeah. And he, he, he took me down within like the first minute of the fight. I actually, like I rewatch it. It's, the, it's like the worst form. But I just brute forced him, reversed it, got on top. I landed a couple <laughs> of really good ground and pound shots. And then we wound up going over to the fence. And I just 
made some stupid mistakes and got, put his arm in a position to put me in a rear naked. And he got me across the front of my face. And when he was squeezing, I just heard a huge pop and my jaw, jaw, jaw yeah. dislocated out of the socket. Ugh. And um, the doctor came in and my mom was in the front row. And I remember he, the kid like let go of me when he felt it. And, yeah. and I kind of like grabbed my face and everybody in the crowd to your point, it was like jam packed in this nightclub. There's like 500 people like up on the cage and it just like everything stopped and everybody got quiet. And I turned around and it looked like I had a golf ball on the yeah. side of my face and my mom started screaming. And then it just ensued. Like they drove me to a hospital in Columbus. And I remember the lady's like on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain right now? <laughs> like, ma'am, I, I don't know. Face, just help like me out. And uh, I'll, ne I'll never forget, my wife made me a pineapple upside down cake because I was, lit I was struggling to get to 185, man. It was tough. Yeah. And um, not anything like a professional fighter, but how I was trying to lose this weight, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And um, I woke up the next morning and I couldn't open my mouth because of how sore it was. And I just remember she like scraped this cake into the garbage and was like, yep, I guess you're not having the cake today. <laughs> it was so disappointing. but. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, it was as much as I, I sit here, it doesn't sound like I enjoyed it. It was some of the best time that I had the camaraderie, the people that I met. And um, yeah. Well, I, also just the experience of like, like walking into that cage and knowing, yeah. like, that's something that a lot of people don't ever get to experience that. And, and mm -hmm. it's even a little different than competing and grappling. It might be sometimes I get more nervous actually than I got in MMA competing and grappling because, because the, I don't know, maybe the level is higher in my case or whatever, yeah. but like, it's still a different feeling, right? Like to, to see me, you know, stepping in that cage, it's something that you, it's worth it just to have that, that feeling, I think. It's changed my perspective on anything difficult that I've ever had to do in life because if you recognize that, you can, you can channel that into other things. When I've had part, it's like, this is nothing. I, I literally walked in there and they locked that door behind me. What, what is this? This is a phone call or this is a job interview or this is, a hard conversation with with my wife or you know what i mean it just it does it puts real world problems into perspective for you yeah i i think just all like training jiu-jitsu for example or you know anything like that that's it's a it's a constant um not exactly what you're talking about but another thing like mentally like that it, it's a constant exercise in risk management right in a lab it's like a lab for risk management like you go in Oh, I, I got to take a little bit of risk. I got to open up and oh, maybe I got my guard passed in, you know, so it's, the consequences usually aren't that bad, although you have to protect your body and stuff, mm -hmm. but, but it's still that risk. Like you're like, and, and the only penalty really is like your ego, like the guy, Oh, he caught me in an arm bar cause I overextended myself, you know? So, mm -hmm. so, but that's, that's just, it's every day we exercise this, like, you know, kind of a risk management idea. And I, I think that's, that's really lacking in a lot of other areas and, and, in the world right now like that's something i you know like see as people people don't have a good handle either way on like risk management I'm like well maybe you should train jiu-jitsu because that's mm -hmm. that'll give you that that constant it's a constant exercise with low stake lower stakes than some of the things you do in real life but but you're exercising that risk risk oh i'm going to take a risk this is what it's you know and, and maybe it's going to turn out not right but and you assess that right every and mm -hmm. it's dependent on your personality Everybody has different risk tolerances. Even in jiu-jitsu, you see that. Like you get yeah. guys that roll that are very, very defensive, and that's their main focus. You see guys like like Gary Taunton. We mentioned him. I mean, that guy doesn't have any. He just lays down. Him. Is like, come on in. Just come into my guard. I dare you. Yeah, he just he just goes for it, whatever. And 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 that's that's partly person your you know innate personality, I think. But I think you do build a, a different 
you know, through training, through that constant feedback of risk management, and that definitely translates into uh, other things. I, I, some of my finance uh, I, people that, you know, because when I went to Lehigh, I know a lot of people in finance, they, they, uh, they agree with that too. Some of my good friends, is that, it, it helps them. A lot of them are in jiu-jitsu also. It's that risk management that kind of can transfer over a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's funny because people, I think, put a stigma on martial artists as well as, you know, just jujitsu being a martial art that those people are maybe kind of tough guys or bullies or have egos, but it's from everything that I've ever experienced, it's the complete opposite. And it's probably due to the amount of confidence that everybody has in themselves, their abilities, where they're not constantly on guard and ready to attack because they're unconfident on just life in general. Yeah. And, and the risk part of it too, I think that yeah. they're, they're, they're comfortable with their, their own risk management, whatever that is for them. You know, and I think that's from training, you know, you're, you're comfortable with whatever risk you're taking in life, like traveling to a new place or whatever, not having a plan necessarily for everything. Like, yeah, I'm going to go into a jiu-jitsu match. Maybe I have a plan, but it's, you're managing that risk in, in the match or in the training. And, and I think that that's one of the things that most carries over. I wrote about that recently, just, just, uh, you know, there's all these different opinions going around about people training and, you know, right now, and I, I'm kind of, I'm not really political with that kind of stuff, but I, I, I just think that I talked to an emergency room doctor and he's like, I think sometimes young people are underestimating the risk older people are overestimating the risk or, of, of so or, true. Under, the opposite. I mean, under, young yeah. people are underestimating, underestimating the risk of, you know, contracting COVID or getting or the, the risk from it. And, yeah. and older people are maybe underestimating one of my, uh, friends here in Pittsburgh he's he's you know kind of kind of you know paraphrasing him but that's he he thought there's something like that going on you know and and I think that I think it's just just risk management you know it's it's not about telling everybody what else they should do and things like that I'm not you know on social media saying you know everybody's with me if they don't do this or everybody's everybody's stupid and you know if they don't do this I think it's about risk management you know and and that's that you train that through jiu-jitsu such a good point such a good point I, uh, you mentioned high rollers. Which one did you go to? Which one did you uh, get to see? I was at um, Bridge City here in Pittsburgh. And that was a great, great um, high rollers event because uh, we had we had just world-class guys there that ended up – Nicky Rod was in yeah. it. Uh, um, funny story. There was a guy there. This is kind of just humorous. So you know how he's built. Just like he's just shredded. He looks like a, like a statue or something. So he takes his sweatshirt off. And I saw one of the other – his opponent, his prospective opponents looking at him. And they were staring at him. And then the guy went over to the bracket and looked at the bracket. And he said, uh, and, then, and then he just left. And we were calling his name. He just saw Nikki taking his shirt off. And he was like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like something out of a movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was and, and, uh, and we had some other great matches like, uh, you know, DJ Jack. My, my little brother, actually, Logan, uh, beat DJ, which was a great yeah. match. Yeah. He, he had a little weight on DJ and, and stuff. But uh, it was just still, you know, beat a world champ like that. It was a great, great thing for you. Logan's real young. He's he doesn't look like it, but he's uh, 26, I think. So he's my little brother, but a lot, lot younger than me, 15 years younger than me. So how many? Um, how many of them are? Are they all boys? Yeah, we have. I have three, three full brothers, full sister, and then uh, half brother. Okay, I have here, three, like around three younger, three younger uh, my brothers sister. myself. So. Oh yeah. So yeah. you guys, you guys probably we. So you were the oldest. I was the oldest also. Yeah, so. I was the oldest of three, four boys, and then there's, um, twelve grandkids. And ten of them are boys, and I was the oldest of all the grandkids as well. 
same with me. I was, I was, I was always, it's We used to like, I remember we bought like the Hulk hands. I was always the promoter. I would like have the <laughs> be like, all right, we're going to do this fight and we'll set up this bracket. And then I would be, I'd get like two buys and I'd be in the championship already. <laughs> and I'd fight after like they all beat the piss out of each other. And I would get in there and clean up. But yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, if you're you're a fan of high rollers if you uh do are you do you use cannabis also i do yeah i yeah, actually I mean, um i spent a, a couple of years in the cannabis industry um still have i own a, an event services company in los angeles that provides different it was event services and was actually talking with lonnie about a couple of things a while back and then covid's kind of put a a little bit of a damper on events but certainly follow all of that yeah he was lonnie lonnie was um i, I just really liked him he did it. he told me well, a long time ago he's going to do the high rollers and i i said well if you ever do it i'll help you just just thinking like you know because everybody says they're going to do stuff and then you yeah. know i didn't know but he did it he actually just made it happen and i was like okay i'm in whatever you need me for i'll, I'll promote it i'll i'll rep you know so we i help with the rules a little bit and like referee and we kind of make up the the rules the weight classes that's kind of like my role and then promote some of the events I, like in la and Pittsburgh, place where i'm you know, have people that I can promote it to. And, uh, and, but it's, it's been, a, I think it's been a real positive thing, you know, just, just that in general. And, um, uh, I, th that's, I, I'm not a big, um, I, I mostly, when I use cannabis, I, I don't really talk about it a whole lot actually, but I, I'm mostly edibles for me. It's, it's been always been a thing for years and years. And I, uh, I'm not saying I'd never, never, you know, smoke once in a while with friends socially, but I, I, it's mo for me, it's mostly the, the edibles. I use it for, you know, sleep recovery, stuff like that. So. No, it's, it's, that's one of those things, right? I, uh, I'm a huge cannabis advocate. I, I think it just from a personal freedoms perspective, let alone the science behind it. And I think there's a lot of science that we've been misled on that, you know, it's a whole nother podcast you could get into. Right. But I've always smoked it. And, um, I had a, a friend who's in the medical field. Who's like, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do. There's nothing wrong with cannabis, but the fact that you're smoking it, that's where the problem is. He's like, it's not the cannabis. It's the fact you're breathing in smoke of any kind. So tried to be a little bit more aware of that and, and change how I consume. And thankfully in the state of Pennsylvania, there is a medical, um, you know, program, which I've been able to be a part of. I don't know. If oh, that's cool. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but, um, which has made that easier to, you know, go and find edibles that jive with me. But before it's just like, you know, it is what it is. And I'll, I'll deal with the consequences in order to have a free mind. That's, 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 yeah, I'm in total agreement with that. And I think it's, I just see, you know, it's, it's, that's been eroding, you know, in my, it seems like to me, just mm -hmm. the freedom to do, to do what you want um, uh, in that way, especially with your own, your own uh, mind and body. I, I, um, another thing I'm a fan of is I, uh, um, you know, psychedelics, things like that. I've always, I've always kind of explored that for years and years. And I, I, um, I know it's kind of getting popular now and stuff. I, a few, quite a few years ago, I, I went to Colombia and had a really good experience there with, um, you know, because it's legal there. So ayahuasca. I was going to ask you. Outside, it was about a couple hours outside of Bogota. I hiked up into the, into the mountains. I was, I was with, uh, I was actually with Gabor Mate, the, the guy that, uh, he writes and speaks a lot. He's a famous doctor about, uh, he's an author, but, uh, we went, he, he runs retreats himself. He went on this one. We were just hyped up. He's really that, he, amazing. He's able to make it, but he, uh, we, uh, we were up there in the, in the mountains with the, it was Colombian uh, natives from Colombia and they, uh, 
Uh, they caught Yahe there. Um, we did it. We were there for 12 days, I think, or something. I did, did a lot of stuff with them. So that was the best experience I ever had with that. But uh, I definitely encourage that. It's not for the, not for the, the faint of art or <laughs> if you don't want to take kind of a mental risk, I guess. But, uh, but it was, I, I, I found it powerful. I, I, I've only done it a couple times since then, and it's not something you want to do a lot, but it's, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's valuable as, a, as an experience to um, just get a different perspective on your own mind. Like we talked about looking at yourself from an outside perspective. That's, that's one of the experiences I've had. You know, you kind of see yourself completely removed from your, whatever you consider to be yourself. You know, you get that, it's hard to kind of explain it. They, they say it dissolves your ego. And it's probably like an overstated phrase when it comes to psychedelics, but I don't know of a better explanation of what occurs. Yeah. I, when I had that, one of the experiences I had there in Columbia, was I, I kind of, for lack of a better description, I kind of saw my ego as a separate thing from myself. That's what I saw. Like, and I was looking at, it was like, you know, not exactly, but like you're, I was looking at that, whatever that ego is, that, that mm -hmm. ball of construct or whatever it is. And I was like, oh, there's, I was outside of that. And I was like, I was looking at it. So I was like, you know, it's a weird feeling because you think you're always so associated with you or whatever that, and then you, you kind of get like something pulls away and there's something else that you kind of feel as you too looking at that. It's, that's one of the weird experiences I've had. It reminded me when you said about the, the NFL player uh, yeah. and that, that, that was something I thought was valuable from that experience. Well, and, and psychedelic, I mean, there's a big trend in microdosing in the jujitsu world. It seems like, I yeah. don't know how prevalent that's always been, but whether maybe it's just kind of the liberal nature of the world that we're living in people are more free to talk about stuff like that but it, it to me it makes a total amount of sense i i've never tried ayahuasca or dmt but i've i've taken my fair share of mushrooms and i can understand the being able to break things down and sl almost slow down reality and see things occurring as it occurs it gives you a different filter for the world that's what i i you know microdoser a little bit more i've done that with training tried it and it's uh, I, I don't do it often, but I, I have done, you know, stretches of that with, with psilocybin mushrooms. And it's, it just, it gives you like a different filter on everything. You know, you look out and you see, even your training, for example, like jiu-jitsu, you're, you're, you're on the mat, you're, it, it's, you, you process what's going on through a different lens maybe or something, you know, and, and that's, that's, I think it's interesting. That's for me, uh, and you get energy too from, from microdosing. I feel a little bit of energy, a little, little boost, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not something I like to do all the time. I like to, when I'm training, I kind of like to, uh, to not have that different filter on, you know, but it's, it's a good experience to have on some body. You, know, you, you probably you almost get to that state without it. I mean, I would imagine yeah. you, you, to understand an art form like jujitsu as deeply as you need to understand it, to get yourself to the black belt level and to be able to teach others. And I, that was the other thing before we hop, I did want to ask you as far as teaching, but just, I would imagine you have to almost be able to naturally slow things down to get to that place. And in practicing it, it's probably a lot like for me is music. I love playing the guitar. I'm very ADD. That's a big reason why I smoke cannabis is to kind of like calm all that distraction from my mind and allow me to focus on things. And when I play a guitar, it like blocks all of that out. It, it requires me to pay a lot of attention to so many different details. It's a form of meditation for me. Um, yeah, I, I, the same with me. The focus of, of, particularly when I'm doing it myself, teaching is a little different. Teaching, I have to kind of take like what your friend, the NFL guy said. I, you almost have to like 
in a way you have to get out of yourself when you're teaching more and, and where whereas it's the opposite it kind of comes to the same thing like a meditation but when i'm practicing jiu-jitsu there's nothing else i'm just i'm doing it I'm, I'm thinking about my internal feelings how the pressure of your opponent what what pressure they give you can kind of feel their mindset their aggression um you in, in your you're at the same time as you're you're processing that you're performing strategies you're looking about how to apply different techniques what techniques applying and changing it in a moment so it's really yeah you have to i i feel like i have to totally focus when i'm practicing jiu-jitsu and also keeping yourself safe that's a big thing always protecting your body especially as i get older i'm, I'm i'll be 42 this year so uh it's you know I, I have to protect my body when i'm training but teaching is even a different thing i have to you have to kind of step back and think of uh you know, instead of what I think about this technique or whatever, because it's different, because I have a different experience. What What's this person experiencing right now trying to learn this? You know, so that's, and then different age groups are different. You know, I love teaching kids. I, we, we had the first, you know, kids, uh, dedicated kids jiu-jitsu program in the Pittsburgh area. And I still teach kids sometimes just because I, I really love it. I, I teach the advanced kids class. My son's in it, actually. He goes to class sometimes. But uh, that's a different challenge, how to relate to kids, because they think a little bit different. You know, mm -hmm. they... They, um, they, uh, I, I think, and some all kids are different too. But it, the adults, it's like step by step. I, I feel like most adults learn. You mix visual and auditory, and it's step by step, very much like John Danaher does. Uh, I don't think that works as well with kids a lot of times. I think kids are more experiential. Like you say, you put them in a scenario and say, "This is this is how you need to where you need to get to." You motivate them to get to that certain position. And then they kind of find the ways to it, you know, without, you know, instead of describing all the theory and stuff where, where I think that's helpful to adults. I think mm -hmm. kids are more like experiential and play, like they play around. They're like, Oh, let me see if I can do this. And let me see if I, but I give, I usually like with the advanced kids, I'll give them a goal and I'll be like, this is why this is important. Because for example, you want to be able to submit your training partners from this position. Right. And if you, and I'll put them in that position, like a micro position and I'll say, get to that submission, however you can. And if you do, you win the game. You know, like that's, that's, we do stuff, stuff like that with the adults too, but it's the explanations different. That's the emphasis with the kids is them finding the path, right? And I, that seems like to work better. Do you feel like it's enhanced your ability as a practitioner of jujitsu yourself in teaching other people and looking at it maybe from how they have to look at it as opposed to how you look at it every single day? I think it does and it doesn't. There's, it's a two-way thing. I think the part that helps you is, is what you just said is, you know, you have to really think through, you know, instead of just doing something kind of, you know, almost subconsciously, you have to like, why do I do this? What, what, what's the most efficient way to do it? What's the most efficient way to explain to somebody else how to do it? Makes you think and articulate. Same as like writing down your thoughts, like a journal or something, you know, where you can clarify, you have these thoughts that swirl around in your head, but how do you clarify them? How do you communicate them? In the act of trying to communicate them to somebody else, you definitely understand your own better. I think that's the positive. There's a negative to teaching too that I think that um, as far as making you skilled as a competitor, and I think this is something I've talked to other teachers about, um, the negative comes when as a teacher, you have to be really broad. You have to paint the broad broad canvas. With not, you have to know about everything. Like for example, I'm not, I'm not a big... Uh, I'm not a big worm guard player. So Keenan Cornelius worm guard. I think it's interesting and I, I understand it, but I, it's not my thing. But I have to know that to teach. Whereas I, if I was a competitor, I wouldn't have to know anything about that. I just have to know how to stay out of the initial positions, you know, and focus on my, what I'm Put that time into something else that you'd be. Focusing on my game and just, just, just hammering that and imposing mm -hmm. that, you know, I think is, 
So I think sometimes teachers, you have to get scattered a lot. And, 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 and another thing, this is something my teachers told me about when you're teaching, when I'm training with my students, uh, a lot of times the lower level students, you have to kind of let them, you know, get stuff or you have a, you have a feeling that you want to want to let them move and let them do stuff. And that can be detrimental because those, those times when you let them catch up to you, that would be the time that you get the advantage on somebody better or your level or better. And you, you, if you roll with your students that are very low level all the time with the wrong mentality with that, like, Oh, I'm going to let them catch up. I'm going to let them get this position. That can be detrimental too. You have to be really focused. I love rolling with lower belts and training with lower belts. I think you can get a lot out of it, but I think that uh, with, you have to be careful with that. If you're also competing. Because yeah. a lot of that's happening. You're just subconsciously it's transitions are happening so quick that you're probably doing things before you even realize you're doing it. So by practicing, you by practicing those other, um, to your point, it, it could potentially put some of that into your subconscious thinking and put you at a detriment. That's exactly mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah, okay. and you have to be, you have to be, you really guard against that. Yeah. But on the other hand, uh, one of my teachers, like I mentioned, Sean Williams before, he had a really, he has a really good thing uh, that he talks about drilling. He's like, he's like, well, you know, if you're rolling, let's say I'm rolling with a, a blue belt or something, and, and and he would say, well, you're drilling, you're in control. And, and it's drilling. It's not live. It might be live for them. They may be like going 100 percent live. Mm -hmm. So both people are benefiting, right? Like I'm, I'm getting a drill in a non-scripted drilling scenario in, and and it's fun, you know. It, but but I have to focus. You know, you, it's the same focus. Not like oh, I'm rolling with somebody that's less skilled. So I'm not. I have to be almost more focused in some ways, you know, in a different mm -hmm. different kind of focus. So that's that's what teaching's teaching's great. I, I love it, and and it's. Uh, it's a challenge. It's, it's like the new challenge for me. How do I get to be a better teacher? How do I impart this to different, for people with different goals? Like how do I teach a competitor? Like, you know, I mentioned Jesse Delgado, or AJ Wilkins or something. Uh, how do I teach them? How do I teach uh, a casual practitioner that I also want to learn this stuff, you know, or how do I teach mm -hmm. a kid? You know, it's, it's all different challenges. And I, I, I love that, that part. That's something I'm getting more and more into is I, you know, don't compete as much myself, things like that. Well, I think you, you must be hitting something right because the growth that you guys are having with Stout here in Pittsburgh is tremendous. I see you guys just opened up another facility out in Monroeville. You're up in yeah. the facility in Zelianople, so I hope you can come up and, and check out the one in Zelianople. Even if you don't do uh um you know, even if you don't don't can't do jiu-jitsu yet with your neck and stuff like that, just come out and you know, say hi. We got a lot of stuff going on. You might be interested in some of the striking. Uh we have uh, aerial soaps class now for uh my, my wife does that uh it's kind of seems like it it's addicting in the way jiu-jitsu is for for some people for mm -hmm. people like that uh Zeely's really nice that space is cool and uh we opened a big garage door now since the summer and then we go out a lot of us go down and uh, we'll, we'll jump in the uh the river nearby after just cool off after oh, like nice. late classes you know eight, it's still light at 8 30 we'll jump get out and jump in the river few of us after but you should definitely come up and check that out if you get a I'm chance gonna, i will most definitely it's it's on the top of my list of things to do in the next 60 days is to like get myself back into a consistent practice even if it's just a couple of days just for my own health and well-being i think the other part as i've gotten older like up until a couple of years ago everything i did had that competitive mindset to it and yeah. so for me it got really frustrating with jujitsu because i'd go for two or three weeks and then i'd get hurt I just would re-injure that neck and it, it made me mad because it's just like, I want to put all my time and focus into it. And I'd find myself give and take, give and take. And 
I, I appreciate the invite. Regardless of the neck, I'm going to pop up. I was going to say, I'll, I'll do, do better as far as the offer, because I've done this with a lot of other people that have injuries and stuff. If, if you want, we'll connect after this. and uh, We can you know, even just get like a one-on-one to so make sure you don't get hurt. I rehab one of my friends has a, a big ad agency up there, actually, um, Ronan Advertising. Shout out to them. They've been really helpful for me. Uh, but um, uh, the founder, they're a nationwide ad agency. They have big, you know, you know, billion dollar companies that they work with, but they're out their main office in Sealy. They had a Miami office, and an LA office and stuff. Um, but he, the founder of it hurt his shoulder and he's an older guy. He's, uh, he's in his fifties and, um, he, uh, had a big shoulder surgery. So I was like, John, why don't we just, you and I train, make sure you don't get hurt. He, he recovered. He's now back full rolling, uh, with anybody wants. Um, and, uh, you know, but that was something I did. Like, that might be a good way to get started. Yeah. You and I can just get on the mats and, I, you know, make sure you don't get, Make sure you don't get hurt and get you back up to speed and get your body going. And I would and, love. Uh, we could we could definitely do that sometime if you want to hook, hook up that way. I would I would definitely love that, and uh, I'll take you up on it. Um, to circle back, because I want to give you some of your day back in everything. I can talk for hours. Um, oh, we I mean we have so much in common. I feel like we could just chat forever. I I uh, the only uh, schedule I have, I have to go up and I'm teaching up in Zeely. Actually, I'm in a strip right now. I'm in my strip district gym, but. Uh, uh, I'm going to teach up in Zealy here at noon, so I'll probably have to head up here pretty soon. But I, yeah, we should definitely do it again because I, uh, or or just just grab a coffee sometime somewhere, yeah. make some, because uh, uh, I I feel like we've we've had such like similar backgrounds, but never got to like mm-hmm. meet and connect so far. So oh, without a doubt, man. Um, I I wanted to ask you because I saw this, and I'll, I'll leave you with this to come full circle. You being a wrestling guy, I don't know how much you follow this. I don't get the impression you're much of a social media guy other than just promoting what you're doing and, and sharing some interesting stuff. Yeah. Like, um, there was a, one of the Paul brothers. I don't know if you know, Jake and Logan, Paul, the YouTube. I know who they are. Yeah. Well, I think it was whatever one isn't in trouble with the FBI right now. Cause I think the FBI raided one of their houses, but the other one put out a tweet and said $10,000 to any influencer that can beat me in a wrestling match. And Askren yeah. quickly popped in and was like, well, I'm an influencer. I'll pin you in less than a minute, bad hip and all. He definitely would. You know, that's the thing. Like, that's a different sport, wrestling. And Askren was amazing. Um, he was last uh, – the Wrestling Nationals was here last year. And uh, I got uh, – I, I saw him. I saw Ben. And I, we were like, oh, come down. And he wanted to come down. And then we got a couple of the other high-level guys to come down, put him in geese. Uh, like Andy Horvat was there and uh, uh, Jake Herbert, some Olympians. Uh, they came down and threw, threw the geese on and we rolled around. That was uh, during Nationals last year. That was great. I – I love that those guys are that open-minded, you know, to do, because they're the best of the best at their sport and elite, elite level. And then they want to, you know, just try something new. And, and I think uh, Jake and Andy are like, they train with the Gee now some, you know, like they, they, uh, they get into it. So yeah, it's, it's um, uh, those, those guys, I think Ben, Ben would smash them. And I do, I fall, I, I love international, I follow college wrestling too and, and have some friends in that. But, uh, uh, shout out to Caleb Young, number one ranked Iowa guy. He's grown up, grew up with him. Uh, uh, he was ranked number one last year. Unfortunately, didn't get to compete in nationals. But uh, I, I love international wrestling. Follow that uh, pretty, pretty much as almost as much as I follow grappling. But uh, uh, it's, it's exciting if you haven't gotten to watch some of it. And it's, it's really beautiful because uh, they, they, it brings people together. You know, with all the division in the world. Like uh, I think somebody put out a tweet that I saw one of the wrestlers. They said, you know doesn't matter it's different faith uh, it was a guy from india he was a, a muslim he said uh and then there was a uh, 
think guy from America, the United States, they're wrestling. It's like different, different faith, different country, but we're all on the mats together and they're showing them hugging. It was, it was and that's, that's been my experience, the truth. The more of, the more of that that we can show right now, I know it seems like, so you turn on the TV, turn on social media and it's just like overwhelmed. I get, it's much, Speaking of keeping distance between myself and the world, I've got to do a better job of that. It's like probably my, <laughs> my biggest downside, but I, I just, I get so passionate about it. I just, to your point, man, I just want to see everybody getting along just and jujitsu, even if it's on a small scale, if you're not, if you're not familiar and you're listening to this, go Google what's a local jujitsu gym, find, find what's going on and go, go watch it, go do some investigating and find out what's happening because I'm looking forward to getting back in because I think, you know, I sit here and bitch about how I get caught up in the real world. This is uh, probably the best thing that I could do to cleanse that for myself. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I think you're, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I mean, the coffee's great and, and uh, it's fun, have, fun being on the podcast. I think uh, one, if you guys get a chance to, if, you, if you're interested in that, in that perspective, Daniel Gracie, one of my other teachers, uh, he put out just kind of a um, long thing, uh, he was, it was really from the heart. It wasn't like tough guy. He was when they were riding, they broke his school up in Philadelphia and stuff. He was like, Hey, you know, I'm here. I'm going to walk my dog. He told me to stay in. He's like, but I'm ex I'm going to, you know, he's like, I'm just not going to live in fear. You know, and we're, he's talking about some of the people like riding and stuff. And he's, he said that, uh, you know, um, he, I, I think how he said it was really cool. He's like, so he's like, I'm going to tell you a little story. There's a little, uh, there's a, a bird and a squirrel. He couldn't say squirrel very well in English, but he was like, and, and the, the, the squirrel was, fixing up there was a leak in a dam and he was fixing it and the bird started laughing at him he was like well what why would you what why, why are you wasting your time you can't fix this dam and the squirrel looked up and he said well i'm doing my job and that's what daniel he's like that's what for me i'm just going to teach you jitsu he's like i'm you know i'm I, I i can't solve all the problems in the world uh i can't you know but you know i see everybody is equal on on the mat and I, he's like i believe jiu-jitsu can change the world it's, I'm, it's a small part but uh he's like i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go back after i walk my dog and i'm gonna do my job which is to you know, teach jiu-jitsu and and what you said everybody you know you come on the mat and, and they're there with everybody and they're they're uh everybody's everybody's truly um uh accepting of no matter what your background is when you're when you're there and i think that's a that's really a breath of fresh air to just have that feeling and you know with all the divisions and stuff now so it's good stuff man that's uh it's probably where we should leave it yeah and i uh, hope we can do it again sometime and uh, thanks about. again for the care package for the, the coffee Certainly. and uh, uh I, like i said i drank some this morning it was great and i uh, hopefully i'll see you just just get in touch with me i'll see you Will up do. in uh, zeely and uh hopefully do another podcast. Hey, uh, just, just to mention, um, I, I think, uh, if you would ever want to talk, my brother would be a great guy. Actually, I was, I was going to, I was yeah. going to contact Logan to see if he could get on his too. He's been interested. He's creating some VR, uh, MMA, uh, related stuff. Uh, he's a, he's a neuroscientist. That's his part, but he runs a lab that they do a lot of VR awesome. creation. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, a, he was a jujitsu guy. He was boxed and he was a, uh, uh, nationally ranked wrestler at Cornell too. So he might be a fun guy to have on if you ever want to get him on. Without a doubt, I will. I'll, I'm going to send you. Uh, I'll send you an email later today just to kind of reconnect and got a lot to catch up on. But I appreciate it a ton, man. And uh, you got a great thing at um, it's in social media. It's at Stout PGH. That's all our social media. Yeah, we're on. Uh, we're pretty active on Instagram. Uh, I don't go on Facebook a whole lot, but uh, I. Uh, 
um, and then Twitter. I'm, uh, we're, we post a lot of news and, and events and stuff like that on, on Twitter that we're having. Now, this weekend, we're having a seminar. If anybody's interested out there, just some people. Jesse Delgado, two-time national champ, Division One wrestler. Uh, he's doing. He's been training with us, grappling and MMA. He's going to do a, a takedown seminar, a defensive takedown seminar, uh, this Saturday at 10 o'clock in the Strip District. So anybody wants to come to that, check that out. Awesome, man. Well, I will, uh, I'm going to get to work on getting this episode released because there's a lot of good stuff in there and I think uh, some things people want to know before the weekend comes. But uh, I appreciate it a ton, Warren, and uh, looking forward to round two. Thanks for having me on.